from lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Katie Dubow is back on the show today, and she's sharing the 2018 Garden Trends Report that's released every year by Garden Media Group. It's their 17th annual Garden Trends Report this year, and for 2018, the theme is Nature's Prescription for Mental Wellness. Nature is the best medicine. The 2018 report introduces seven industry trends that inspire a cleaner, more relaxed state of mind. It shows that when we disconnect from media and reconnect with Mother Nature, we can make steps toward rebuilding our mental wellness. As Susie McCoy, the founder of Garden Media Group, said, We already know gardening works wonders for our health. Now we're looking at ways people are transforming their gardens to further improve their mental and spiritual well-being. The 2018 Garden Trends Report with Katie Dubow. That's the topic of today's show, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for listening to the Still Growing Podcast this week, especially if you've just found the show. I want to say a special welcome to you, and then welcome back to any returning listeners. And I always love to start the show out by saying that I hope you are listening to a ton of gardening podcasts, because it really is such a wonderful way to grow and learn as a gardener, especially in the off-season, which we're in right now. It's starting right now. We've had A snow event here in Minnesota happened five days before Halloween. So gardening is officially over in many northern climates. So it's the perfect time to listen to gardening podcasts. And listener Danny Perkins just posted something in our Facebook group that I thought was really marvelous and also dovetails so nicely with the topic of today's show. Here's what Danny wrote. I'm plugging away at my desk, and I was listening to some back episodes of the podcast Cultivating Place. The speaker shared this statement made by a friend who had lost his job. Here's the quote. When the world didn't want what I had to offer, my garden did. What a great testimony on the comfort and sense of accomplishment that our gardens can provide And we've all heard that common saying that gardening is cheaper than therapy. And I think there's something to that. So keep listening to gardening podcasts. Keep going back to your app where you're listening to podcasts and typing in words like gardening, like garden, gardening, herb, flowers, all of those kinds of things, and that will hopefully expose you to more and more shows and programming for you to enjoy. With regard to the Still Growing Podcast, I'm so honored that you're spending some time here listening this week, and I'd also like to invite you to join the listener community for our show. It's a free private Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show 
And you can find it easily on Facebook just by typing in the name of our group into the search bar. Just search for the Still Growing Podcast Group, and the listener community will show up at the top of the search results on Facebook. Now, what you get when you join the Facebook group is access to all of the garden articles that I curate for you. They'll just pop up in your Facebook newsfeed. You'll also be in the right spot if there are any giveaways from my guests, because I only pick winners from the listener community. You also get to interact with the great guests that have been on the show, like Deborah Lee Baldwin, the Queen of Succulents, author Marta McDowell, lifelong gardener, and such a wise woman, Barbara Pleasant, the author of Homegrown Pantry, and Craig LaHoulier of Epic Tomatoes. You just can't go wrong. And finally, there's no spam in the group. The content that I share with the listener community is something I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worthwhile for you because everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. Plus, it's free and easy to join. All right, let's welcome new members to our group, Shante Colley, Katie Metz-DiMartinez, Julie Salinas, Che Penn, Diana Kirby, Vicki Shanique, Rennie Ann, Anna Sharma, Dalton Wegman, Sally Harper, Jody Rushing Gustafson, Benita Braden, and Mary Lou Garina. Welcome, you guys. This week in the Facebook group, listener Sue Lufdig shared her success. She made her first batch of compost, but she did have some large tree roots that had yet to break down. So, of course, you can always screen those out or just put them back in your compost pile and let them decompose even more. Anyway, it's always so exciting to get that first batch of compost Sue wrote, it's like peat and dark soil. Who knew I could do it? So congratulations, Sue. And if you're thinking about composting and adding a compost pile to your 2018 gardens, now is the time to start researching that. Get comfortable with the idea, identify a spot in your garden, and then just start doing it. Listener Spencer Holdley found the coolest sign from a store closing. So imagine a large metal sign on a stand, and then he asked the group for ideas for how he could repurpose it. I think I was the least original. I said, put a little welcome to the garden sign in between those two plastic squares. But then people said, replace the clear plastic with chicken wire and fill it with tillandsia. That was Michael Todd Pierce's suggestion. Troy Golden suggested using a whiteboard marker to plot out the garden on the plastic. I loved that idea. Rose Camp said, take the plastic out, use it as a place to hang some hanging plants. Melissa Van Zeeland said, use it as the top of a cold frame. That's creative. And then my favorite one was from Patricia Chandler Newport, who said, flip it upside down and insert it deeply into the ground and then maybe put wood or stone on the legs and have it be a garden table. That was clever. Anyway, lots of creativity in the listener community this week. Laura Gonzalez shared a beautiful nighttime photo of her garden, and she said, I've lost the rake. I guess it's time to head in. That made me chuckle because so many of us are still outside doing last-minute things in the garden whenever we get a chance. And invariably, if you're out in the dark 
most of us can relate to misplacing tools. And then we just have to remember to go out the next day and look for them in the daylight. So I thought that was cute. Listener Randy Harrington is bringing his agapanthus in for winter, and he was looking for info or tips on what to do for winter care indoors. Now, Patricia Chandler Newport said she grows a very similar plant indoors. She gives it very little water or fertilizer from fall through midwinter and then gradually increases the water and adds a little fertilizer maybe in late January. The only other advice that I would add to that, Randy, is to give it a nice shower every now and then just to keep it clean, dust-free, especially as you're transitioning in from outdoors. Then finally, I shared a post in the gardening group this week. My daughter, Emma, got confirmed last weekend. And of course, we didn't have any time to get all the food for the family. We had grandparents coming over on both sides. And we were running around like crazy. So as soon as Emma was confirmed, we dashed off to Costco about a half an hour before they closed. And I grabbed this beautiful white sheet cake that had a really pretty heart in the middle. But the only thing was, since it was near closing time, there was nobody that could decorate the cake and customize it for her and say, you know, happy confirmation, Emma. And I could tell she was a little bummed out, but she's like, no problem, mom, don't worry about it. So when we got home, I went out into the garden. And even though we've already had a little bit of snow and quite a bit of sleet and rain, I still had some things in my herb garden and some blooming annuals that I had left alone. And so I went through the garden and I clipped things like hydrangea that has beautiful pink blossoms right now. I clipped some coreopsis, some petunia. And then I went to the herb garden and grabbed things like lavender and my phenomenal lavender that I'd gotten at the garden bloggers fling. And then even a little bit of rosemary. And then I went back in the house and that's how I decorated Emma's cake. I spelled her name using some of the lavender leaves. And then I just surrounded it with different blossoms. And that's how I customized her cake. And I have to say, she was tickled with it. That made me happy. And I thought, you know what? It made it so much more memorable than if we would have had that cake just decorated at Costco with traditional icing. So you can find that on the Facebook group in the listener community. Just go there and search for confirmation and that post will pop right up and you can see a picture of the cake if you missed it this past week. All right, don't forget that the show has a phone number. So if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments or feedback, you can always reach the show by calling 865-333-GROW. That's 865-333-4769. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. And it's made up of a dozen different segments from updates on past guests 
to articles featuring fascinating folks in the world of horticulture that I'd love to chat with. And that's something I call the dream guest segment. Now, what's great about this segment for you is that you can stay somewhat abreast of the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share it all with the listener community in the free Facebook group, The Still Growing Podcast Group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, there's no need to take notes or track down links. Just head on over to the group and join. Let's get started with a guest update. Past guest Megan Kane of The Creative Vegetable Gardener. She was featured back in episode 557, and she does a wonderful job of staying in touch with still-growing listeners. And this week, she shared a great kale salad. And she wrote, if you've never made a massaged kale salad, you're really missing out. They're amazing. A massaged kale salad usually has some lemon juice in it and oil as well as some salt. And you massage that salad until the kale starts to soften and wilt. And then you add in a bunch of other ingredients and Megan's looks beautiful. So she shared her massaged kale salad recipe. She said it's perfect for any time of year. And she also says that it will change your relationship with kale forever. Here's an update on past guest Tanya Peel from the blog Plant and Shoot. She wrote a two-part blog post on the tomatoes known as Red Racer Tomatoes. She had a chance to grow these tomatoes in her garden. This is an AAS winner, and she did a review of how they performed for her. Once the flowers started to appear on her tomato plants, the first tiny fruits showed up about a month later. They were a beautiful red color, and she said they tasted great. Red Racer is available from Harris Seeds. So if you're interested in tracking down some Red Racer for your 2018 garden, head on over to Harris Seeds. And if you'd like to read Tanya's review, just search for Red Racer in the Facebook group. Just a reminder to head on over to Craig LaHoulier's blog and check out his wrap-up of the 2017 gardening season. He did a review of eggplants and peppers. He's working on posts for indeterminate tomatoes, and he will wrap the year up with progress and results from his dwarf tomato project. And you can find all of his blog posts over at craiglahoulier.com. In Sustainability this week was a great post from the Lodge at Woodlock blog, and it was all about autumn in their farm-to-table garden. One of the things that they talk about in this blog post in terms of sustainability are the things that they are adding to their beds as they prepare for winter. They plant cover crops like vetch, rye, or oats to keep the soil alive all winter long and to give it an abundance of organic matter come springtime. They say, if there's no time to plant cover crop, we simply add mulch like leaves or straw to the beds to keep the soil insulated in order to prolong the lives of beneficial microbes and worms within the soil. This was a great season end post from the Lodge at Woodlock. In Continuing Ed was a post on a skill that I want to master, and it's called hedge laying. 
The author had the chance to speak with Claire Maimon of the National Hedgelane Society, didn't even know there was one, about what was involved in caring for hedgerows and about hedgelane, the old craft of laying a hedge down so that new growth can be encouraged. So what they do is they cut 90% of the way through the stem of the hedge, and then they lay it at an angle toward the ground. And where the stem has been cut, new growth starts. And in time, this vigorous new growth fills in gaps and regenerates an old, thin hedge. And it's called hedge lane. I thought it was a very well done article. And Claire herself got into hedge lane because from a distance, she'd always admired the beauty of a laid hedge. And Claire reminds us that laid hedges create wildlife corridors and safe havens for nesting birds and small animals. But I just think it's super cool. So that was a fun article. In Minnesota, there's a small newspaper up in Brainerd, way up north, and they had a fun garden quiz that they offered in their newspaper out of Fargo, and it had lots of great questions. I thought listeners would have fun taking this little quiz. Here were a couple of highlights. First, do freshly dug vegetables like carrots and potatoes store better washed or unwashed? Here's the answer. Fresh garden carrots and potatoes store better unwashed with excess soil gently rubbed away. Washing damages the vegetable's natural waxy coating, and that helps them last longer in storage. And then this one made me laugh. Are the thorny canes of roses, raspberries, and barberries nature's way of protecting them from rabbits? Here's the answer. Although plants are thorny, it doesn't protect them from rabbits. They nibble canes, thorns and all, as though they were candy. You can catch the full quiz over in the Facebook group. Just search for quiz. The National Garden Bureau featured a great post from Chris Van Cleve, also known as the Redneck Rosarian. It's 10 tips to keep your roses healthy, winter rose care. And one of the points that Chris made, I think, is really important with roses, and that is to clear your garden beds of debris, especially where your roses are. Chris says, diseased leaves may have fallen from your roses. So clearing them away helps curb problems in the spring. Fungal disease will overwinter and will be there to greet you if you don't remove it. So I know more and more we're leaving plant material up in the garden over the winter for winter interest and also to provide some habitat for wildlife. All of that is great. But when it comes to roses, Make sure you're cleaning out underneath your roses to minimize fungal issues. Also in Continuing Ed was a post I really liked by Jamie Green, and it was called Don't Forget to Bathe Your Plants. And I love what Jamie wrote here. Among the many benefits that they bring to your home, plants can help clean the air. Are you returning the favor? You should be cleaning your plants. You think to dust your bookshelves and your tchotchkes, I hope, and your plants are sitting there collecting all the same dust. They're alive 
but that doesn't make them self-cleaning. Plants not only need to take in sunlight through their leaves, but that's where respiration happens too. Dusty leaves are bad news. So Jamie says here, twice a year, give your hardier plants a full spa treatment in the form of a lukewarm shower. And I do this. In fact, last year, I gave my mom a beautiful poinsettia that I'd gotten for free at a nursery. And one of the ways I encouraged her to help keep that poinsettia alive long after Christmas was over was to give it nice, lukewarm baths about every other week, in addition to keeping the leaves clean. And she did that, and she was completely astounded at this poinsettia and how vigorous and healthy it looked all the way through spring. So point made, I love giving my houseplants little spa days. Give it a try and see if you don't have better luck with your houseplants this year. In the how-to DIY segment, there was a wonderful post that was featured in Architectural Digest. And this was for how to do single flower arrangements for your tabletop. This was a trick that was featured in Kathy Graham's new book, And she reminds us that we don't need to have that many flowers for an effective table. You can focus on just one flower at a time, play with the sizes, play with the shapes of the flowers and the bottles, and then stand back. You'll often be very impressed with your work. Also in the how-to DIY segment was a great post on birding. This was featured in discoverwildlife.com. And what I especially liked about this post was it really helps you get started because oftentimes there's no debate that birding is a great way to see wildlife, but many times people just do not even know where to begin. So Amy Jane Beer breaks it down. She shares her advice for becoming a bird-watching pro. And her one piece of advice has really stuck with me. She says, birds have daily routines, as we do. But I will say this, unlike me, I doubt they're heading over to Starbucks a couple of times a week. But Amy's making a great point here. What she says is, think about those predictable habits and routines of birds. They're the most predictable at the beginning and the end of the day. So those are often the best times to watch. And you know, if you think about it, we're the same way. We're very predictable at the beginning and the end of the day, how we start our days, how we end our days. And birds are no different. Finally, in the how-to DIY segment was a video tutorial I found from Sarah Raven on making a beautiful autumn table wreath using an oasis ring. That one was a fun watch. So if you get a chance to check that out in the group, just head on over to the group and type in wreath and that video tutorial will pop up. In the plant spotlight, Polly Nicholson shared the results of her zinnia trials. She's a florist and a grower based in England. And Polly's findings were inspiring. She says, rethink this Norman Rockwell flower. They're being bred into something much more elegant and desirable in the garden. Well, in addition to zinnia was a great post on comfrey. This was shared in Mother Earth News, and it was called Why and How We Use Comfrey at Our Country Home. This led to some interesting conversation around comfrey. Jody Callahan was wondering about sources for seeds. You can always find it at Baker Creek or high mowing seeds, of course. 
And some of us started talking about, do we even actually use it? Patricia Chandler Newport and Franny Oxford said they both grow it, especially because it was super hot in the news a few years ago, but they've yet to do anything with it. So if you are using comfrey on a regular basis in your garden, or you've mastered incorporating that into your garden, I'd love to hear about it. Hop in the group and tell us all about it. Then finally in the plant spotlight was an interesting article about the history of zucchini squash over at Botany One. It turns out that of the summer squash cultivar groups, the zucchini is the most cosmopolitan, but it is also the newest, having been traced to Milan in 1901. So it's only been around for a little over 100 years. In the news, there's a new bar that opened up in Glasgow, and it's simply called The Gardener. It has beautiful artwork with a garden theme and an adventurous menu. So if you're heading that way, check that one out. There was an alarming post talking about how Germany's birds have disappeared as insect abundance has plummeted 76%. So there's a lot of research happening right now to better understand the causes and the ramifications of this big decline in flying insect biomass in Germany. But obviously, that would have an impact on birds in Germany as well. Dr. Scott Williams, the lead researcher on Japanese barberry for the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station, said the barberry is the ecological perfect storm for tick-borne diseases. This was shared in a post last week that was called why one plant may be fueling the spread of Lyme disease. And it turns out that his team's research shared some pretty interesting news. They say if you take an acre of forest containing Japanese barberry, that forest will average a Lyme disease-carrying tick population 12 times higher than an acre with no barberry. So that's another factor to consider if you've got Japanese barberry on your property. In happier news, there was a really wonderful image that was shared on Twitter last week by Mark Suttoth, and he was going through thousands of still images. This was after the hurricane in Houston, and he discovered this image of a little monarch, and he could hardly believe his eyes. So in the post, he's got this picture of the beach, And right above the beach, you can barely make it out, is a beautiful monarch. So he zoomed in, blew it up. Yes, it's a monarch. And he wrote, going through thousands of still images that made up the time lapse of the storm surge from Hurricane Nate in the Gulf Port, found this. That was cool. Then in related news, I found a fun post about milkweed and how it was used in World War II. This one caught my attention because there was a poster that was shared during World War II that showed kids collecting milkweed pods to help the war effort. During World War II, many items that were previously considered disposable were then put to good use and milkweed pods fell into that category. And the whole desire for this milkweed floss was needed because the Japanese had taken over the Dutch East 
Endies and the supply of floss that was needed by the military to make life vests was cut off. And it turns out milkweed floss is waterproof and buoyant and was found to be a good substitute for making life vests for soldiers, aviator suits, and other insulation needs. So in the fall, back in 1944, when those milkweed pods turned brown and dried, school children were given onion sacks at their schools and told to gather as much as they could, and then they'd get paid for their efforts, usually 15 cents per bag, and if the pods were sufficiently dried, they'd get an extra five cents. I thought that was very interesting. In the dream guest segment this week is Jeff Bialis of JNA Farm. I read about Jeff in an article, and the article was featured in Edible Manhattan. It says, this 25-year veteran of the 97th Street Green Market grows 350 varieties of produce and then some. One of the people that I saw tweeting about this said that his farm stand is like a seed catalog come to life. He has one of the most diverse produce stands in the entire green market system, which is like a farmer's market. And he does all of this on 14 acres of land. Here's a little excerpt from this article that I think you'll enjoy. Jeff's compact stand at the Friday market looks like a little jewel box with small crates heaped with the likes of red okra and striped eggplant and green zebra tomatoes. Throughout the morning, though, he and his hired hands from the city keep those boxes constantly replenished from the 16-foot box truck he loads and drives south once a week. He says he serves 1,500 customers a day at this market and one on Saturdays. That's a lot of custom produce. His wife says their goal is to give normal people fabulous food. Anyway, the whole article is just wonderful. So if you get a second, treat yourself to reading about Jeff Bialis and Jan Farm. In Science This Week, new research reveals that petals of flowers produce halos that help bees find the flowers. Thought that was interesting. Then in other bee news, The Telegraph had a great post that was called, Bees Do Better in the City Than in the Countryside Because of Their Varied Diet. So honeybees in cities and suburban areas are producing more honey than those in rural areas. That's what the figures are showing. So I thought that was interesting. And then along those lines, there was an article that was posted, and it was in sciencemagazine.com. And it was showing how native trees and shrubs provide more food for birds. So there is a doctoral student named Desiree Narongo out of the University of Delaware, and she's researching trees and shrubs with Doug Tallamy. And the most eye-opening aspect of her research is that there is so much diversity in bugs and birds right in people's backyards. She said, a lot of people think you need to go to the woods to see beautiful butterflies or beautiful birds, but they're actually in people's backyards too. 
In shopping this week, I have two book recommendations for you, and they both have to do with plant hunting. The first one is called The Orchid Hunter, A Young Botanist's Search for Happiness. This is by Leif Bearsvaden. And here's a little excerpt about what the book is about. In the summer after leaving school, a young botanist sets out to fulfill a childhood dream to find every species of orchid native to the British Isles. And he has just a few months to complete his quest. It's a charming account of a precocious adolescent's obsession with the natural world, and it includes the study of 52 native species. Folks are saying it's a fantastic gateway into the compendious world of orchids. And I just checked, you can get it on Amazon hardcover for about 14 bucks, Kindle, $9.99. And then the other one is by Zoe Devlin. There was a great article about Zoe in irishnews.com. Zoe came to publishing relatively late in life, but her passion for wildflowers dates back more than six decades. And her book is called Blooming Marvelous, A Wildflower Hunter's Year. And the cover of this book is spectacular. You can get it on Amazon hardcover for $30. And I love this account of her book. Here's what it says. Whenever I see the first cowslips of the year, I imagine myself back in a field near Sandy Ford, County Dublin, in the mid-1950s. Zoe Devlin has viewed her whole life through green-tinted glasses, describing herself as an unofficial ambassador for weeds, wasps, and wagtails. What began as a childhood delight in wildflowers grew into a hobby then blossomed into an enduring passion. She recalls her encounters with various species, divulging the history of where she discovered them alongside tales from her own life. Doesn't that sound great? Then finally in shopping, there was a post that appeared in Apartment Therapy, and it said, the under $5 floral filler you're passing up but shouldn't. This post was all about eucalyptus. And they showed this person putting eucalyptus in a simple vase. It looked fantastic. Eucalyptus has a lot of upside. It stays perky and looking fantastic for a solid two weeks. And, of course, it's extremely affordable. The author of this article said that she picks up a big bunch at Trader Joe's every other week for about four bucks. So you not only get the fantastic fragrance, but a nice big filler for a vase in your house. In recipes this week, You Grow Girl shared their oven-roasted salsa verde recipe. It's super easy, made with tomatillos, and it's awesome. In inspiration this week, the Washington Post shared a great perspective piece called The Hidden World of Seeds. There were beautiful pictures in this post of all kinds of different flowers, trees, and shrubs going to seed. And the quote that I especially love from this piece is, a seed is both the beginning and the end of a plant's life. But amazing images here. And if you're in the Facebook group, just search for amazing and you'll get taken to this post. 
In quotables this week was this neat little poem that I found on social media. It's by Camus. It's called A Second Spring. And what I especially enjoyed about it is that it describes the way leaves fall from trees, especially those final leaves, those hangers on. So if you've got a tree in front of your property that still has a few last little leaves to fall off the tree, you'll appreciate this poem. A Second Spring by Camus. The dew indiscriminately wept for all things living and dead on this early autumn morning. Its cold droplets caressed the leaves while lingering sap-starved leaf stems clung precariously above. And each dying leaf shed teardrops for and onto their fallen kind. One by one, they released their hold, falling silently, gracefully, in their final unique fashion. Some swayed, others pirouetted, and many more somersaulting into their final resting place. Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, the 2018 Garden Trends Report with Katie Dubow of the Garden Media Group. Being in public relations, identifying trends is really one of the keystones for the Garden Media Group. And what they do with the trends is they take a look at what is happening, what's happening globally, what's happening with consumer trends, not just what's happening in the garden world. And of course, when we're talking about trends, we're trying to get ahead of the curve, So a lot of the things that you'll hear Katie speak about today are things that they predict will be more and more prevalent over the next two to three years from now. So you have a way to get a little bit ahead of the curve here in your own garden by paying attention to what trendsetters are saying. And of course, with the internet, most of us can stay pretty on top of things. We all want to know what's hot, what's happening now, but it's always helpful to have trend spotters leading the way, pointing us in the right direction and identifying things that they think have some staying power. So for instance, the Garden Media Group looks at things that are happening in architecture or in home buying. And then they'll see that people are wanting to move outdoors, that the bonus room is becoming the patio or the deck. People love that outdoor living. And that trend is continuing. In the past, Garden Media Group has talked about gardening for the soul or gardening for the body. So this year, when they're talking about gardening as a mental escape to help achieve mental health and mental well-being... It's just an extension of many of the trends that they've been identifying for the past few years. 
This year, they have seven trends that they're very excited about, and all of them relate back to mental wellness and helping gardeners relieve their stress and mental fatigue and their troubles. And as Katie points out, the rising trend of wellness isn't just about keeping the body healthy anymore. It's about keeping the mind and the spirit healthy, too. This new report highlights new ideas, new garden structures, and new colors to help clear our mind and step away from the nonstop connectivity that is wearing us out. So here's Katie Dubow with the 2018 report, Nature's Prescription for Mental Wellness. Well, welcome back to the Still Growing Podcast, Katie. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I was very excited to see your new theme for this year's Garden Trends Report, and it's Nature's Rx, or Prescription for Mental Wellness. I really like that. And I have to tell you that my immediate reaction was, oh my goodness, yes, because I noticed that recently the Global Wellness Summit recently gave a presentation saying mental wellness will be the biggest future trend, period. And now we have things like World Mental Health Day and the practice of mindfulness is everywhere. And that's been a growing trend in and of itself. But in general, I love how you kick this off. You say, wellness isn't just about keeping the body healthy anymore. It's about keeping the mind and spirit healthy too. And nature is the best medicine. There yeah. just isn't anything better than nature. Good old vitamin mm -hmm. in. Yeah, and I think a couple of years ago, we actually even saw an article go around that coined dirt is the new Prozac. So um, it's definitely, you know, gardening, I think for us in the industry, we know that it does the mind and body good, but I think that the masses are starting to pick it up as well, that this is really, you know, kind of the cure-all is being outside, being warm with nature, and actually getting your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I think the mental wellness trend goes back to the fact that this, this connectivity, I mean, you have teenagers, and I can only imagine how it is to get them to look up from their phones. Yes. You know, I know how it is with myself. I, I am addicted. I can say it. I'm addicted to my phone. And I think that that is what's really driving this mental wellness trend is that we are we are so connected 24-7 and uh, to news. You know, this news cycle, whether it be real or fake, you know, whatever it is, um, and the constant pressure of social media is really, I think, literally driving us all crazy. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up teenagers with this because I was having a talk with my daughter the other night and... Really, you're, you're really spot on here when it comes to teenagers and mental wellness or self-image or self-confidence or self-esteem. I think that's one of the biggest goals of any parent out there is to make sure that your kids get through middle school and high school with their self-confidence and their self-esteem fully intact. And that goes right back to mental wellness, spiritual well-being, mental well-being. That's just as important as getting good grades and, you know, being yeah. physically active. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we follow this trend company called Y-Pulse, and they do a lot of Generation XYZ studying. And they say that Gen Y is the most stressed and anxious to date. 13 to 81% of 13 to 34-year-olds are say that they're stressed and that a big percentage of those are actually seeing therapists for their stress. Mm. 
So it's just, it's an epidemic. Um, in fact, the World Health Organization says anxiety will be the number one health issue outranking obesity by 2030. I read so that. It's a big deal. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, you're, you're right. It is a big deal. And that's why I think I was kind of shocked in a way to see this as part of the, the Garden Trends report because I don't know that necessarily people would associate mental health or mental well-being with gardening, unless you're a gardener, in which case, you know, we've right. all heard that gardening's better, better therapy than, uh, you know, I guess going to see a therapist is the old saying or something like that. But it just really kind of took me aback, I have to say, when I first saw that. Yeah, well, when we were doing our research for this, we actually found that Cyrus the Great, 2,500 years ago, built relaxation gardens in Persia. So this is something that certainly, you know, it, and I think today there are, there are a number of landscape designers and architects who are who are doing this. But this is an ancient practice. Um, I think because of the the focus on mental health, we're just trying to help it, be, you know, come back into fashion. Yep, bring more awareness to it. Mm-hmm. Well, people can go to your website, GardenMediaGroup.com, and before they download your trends report, which is something, by the way, is a, that is available on your website for free, you offer a little preview of some standout items to look for in 2018, and you do that by asking some questions. I really liked them, and I thought, you know what, let's just start with these. We'll kind of yeah. tease a little bit about what's coming, give people a little foretaste here. Great. And and then we'll dive into the report. So the first question that you mention is, what is driving the increasing consumer desire for mental wellness? Yeah. And I think we, you know, we talked about that a little bit already. Is it this, it's this, the, the biggest thing we're seeing is that 24-7 connectivity that we can't escape. Um, and it is, it's literally exhausting, mentally ex- exhausting. And I think that that, to, that need to keep up with the Joneses um, and whether that Jones living in Australia, now it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. Um, we are comparing ourselves to everybody around the globe. And we only put our best face forward on social media. Nobody's putting, as you know, in my case, a screaming toddler throwing a tantrum in the grocery store. <laughs> of course not. I'm putting the pumpkin patch, the cute picture of us picking pumpkins. So um, it is, it's exhausting us. And I think that that connectivity is the number one thing that is um, driving this, this mental, mental exhaustion. Hmm. Now, the second question you ask is, how is the climate that changing the way that we garden globally, locally, indoors, and out. So that um, really taps into our first trend. Um, but just as a little snapshot, you know, the the climate is changing. You know, our, we are here in southeastern Pennsylvania, and it has only now just started to get cold. But last year, we had snow in October. And so no longer can you actually say, you, you know, if you looked at the Farmer's Almanac, if that was your thing, or if you looked at your your, your zones, if that was your thing. You know, our USDA zones have shifted. So it really is the, the unfortunate circumstance of our of our gardening climate today is that we can't predict what next year's weather is going to be like. We can't predict what tomorrow's weather is going to be like. And so, um, you know, we dive a little bit deeper into it in, in our first trend, but basically it's that that concept of, should I garden? Should I even bother? Because I, you know, it's a stress. And that goes back to that mental stress. Should I even bother? Because I don't know if we're going to have a frost in May or if it's going to be warm through November now. Yep. Unpredictable. Yep. The third question you asked is, how can we inspire millennials to garden year round? And we love this. I mean, you know, we're 
our clients and people we talk to in every industry, I think, is, is trying to capture that that big group of millennials and trying to figure out how to get them to buy their products. Um, and I think that, you know, there there's a generational, I think our the, the grandparents' age of the millennials were gardeners. And then the boomers kind of skipped that. Uh, not, you know, this is a huge generalization, but uh, it was the TV dinner generation mm. when they were invented. So um, they, they didn't garden as much as their parents. So this millennial generation is is discovering indoor plants. They're discovering what it is like to eat or grow and then taste the food they grow in their backyard, maybe for some of them for the first time. And so um, they're really becoming, I mean, the, the houseplant trend is huge with millennials. So it's about how to figure out how to get the decor and then that um, sense of ownership. And that touches a couple of our trends, but really we, we talk about we talk about that throughout the report, but just really providing them with that pride in whether it's growing something your own to serve or to decorate with. This next one's a fun one, and it's simply, what is the hottest color of the season? Yep. Well, um, you know, it's our last trend that we cover in the report because if we leave out color from our trends report, you know, we are not Pantone. We're Garden Media Group. But if we leave out color, the people revolt. They ask, well, but that's all great, but what's the hot color? <laughs> so, um, you know, luckily for us this year, Pantone came out with uh, a couple palettes for 2018. And so we were able to look at those palettes. And uh, then we also picked from Whole Foods, did a big trend report for 2018. And so and this is how we, you know, for your listeners who didn't hear our past conversation, the way that we pick our, our you know, the way that we discover our trends is that we look at all industries. We look at trends across, you know, fashion, food, home decor, technology. We look at everything to see then what will apply to our industry. And when we was when we were seeing this color pop off across all these other industries, we knew that purple was going to be the big color for for 2018 in, in the guards industry. That's great, and all the Vikings yeah. fans in Minnesota are going yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the 2018 report, Nature's RX for mental wellness. Do you say prescription or do you guys say RX? We say both. I mean, we go back and forth. Um, I think prescription, some people, you know, some people look at Rx and aren't quite sure what it means. So it's like, it's, it's the prescription. Yep. We're prescribing you nature. Nature. Nature is this prescription for mental yep. wellness. You introduce seven industry trends that inspire a cleaner, more relaxed state of mind. And it shows that when we reconnect with Mother Nature, we can make steps toward building our mental wellness. So let's go through the seven trends. And first up is a category you call climate controlled, and you share four climate controlled garden types for this trend. What are they? Yeah. So before we jump into those, the reason, you know, we start with this trend because it affects everything. You know, the climate will trickle down no matter where you live or what you're growing. So we, that's why we start with this one. And um, the reason we pick these climate control garden types is because these are going to help people be less stressed. If you're a garden center or if you sell plants, we are saying, you know what, try to position your products in one of these garden types to help people have more success. Because when you have more success gardening, you know, you'll garden more, but you'll be less stressed. And that's the whole point of what the whole, you know, all of our trends really relate back to how to help people have less stress. And so what we did was we, we looked at all types of climates and what's happening outside of the normal, you know, snow that you would get, the rain that you would get. And so that's, these are four 
types of that are outside of the norm. And the first one we're called, we call Gone with the Wind. And um, it's really about when you have abnormal winds. Like, in fact, right now um, in Pennsylvania, we're having a storm, a, a pretty bad windstorm today. And, um, you know, trees get toppled over. High winds will break limbs off. And it, certainly it increases water loss, you know, with evaporation and it spreads disease. So um, our wind-resistant gardens provide plants you know, with flexible stems or, you know, that just really plants that you can plant to help block the wind. And so that's the gone with the wind, um, which I'm looking out the window seeing the trees bend, and we certainly need that today. Well, and I love that in here. I mean, you give people some plant suggestions. You say incorporate flexible stems, use plants that have small, narrow leaves, like, you know, of course, grasses come to mind, lavender, yarrow, stone crop. This sounds like my garden. (laughs) And then plant large trees and shrubs as wind blocks. So um, this was interesting to me. I was uh, driving back down to uh, where I grew up and I had the kids in the car. And my son said, why are these, why are there these little patches of trees all around the the properties, these little farms that are out in the middle of nowhere as you're driving down to southwestern Minnesota? And I'm like, it's a windbreak, Will. And a lot of times, you know, you could tell how long farmers had been on the farm because they'd talk about, well, I'm on my second grove of trees or I'm on my third grove of trees. You know, they, they knew that they had to replenish that windbreak, you know, throughout yep. the years. And so... I use that as an example. And then he noticed, you know, there were areas where there used to be a house, but the trees were still standing. And so just kind of an interesting observation for a city kid, you know, driving out to the country. But yes, the very Because I think one of the things, this is not in our report, but people look at, sometimes have tree blindness, we call it, and they don't even notice the tree. So kudos to him. Yes, yes, you're right. You're right. So the second one we're calling Gardens at Rock. And that's for the rock gardens, uh, but for those really dry climates. But this is not necessarily drought because drought is definitely an issue that is still prevalent um, and is still a problem, but we've talked about it in the past. So this is really a new way for us to talk about drought. Uh, And it's just, you know what, you're not going to be watering. You're not going to be watering your gardens anymore because we, you know, water is a precious resource. So how can we create gardens that will, uh, with plants that are, are okay with being hot, okay, with having full exposure to sun, you know, for 12 hours a day and really little water. And so, and also um, have some salt tolerance because when you have less water, you have higher concentration of salt. So the plants such as date date palm and fennel, um, some beautiful flowers will still bloom, irises and poppies. Uh, And then of course, just like the wind block, you also want to plant uh, plants that will provide some shade. And so Acacia, mesquite, and desert willow are some great examples of those. And then the some of the millennial favorites, um, we have uh, Costa Farms is one of our clients, and they have a great collection called Desert Estate. And the plants are specifically selected so they'll you know that that work in those hot and dry climates, indoors and out. So um, you know, in our climate here, which is not so hot and dry, we can bring those plants inside. Um, but mostly, it's made for those hot and really dry climates. Yep. And I like to see that you not only mentioned succulents, but you also mentioned cactus. And I had the opportunity to speak with Deborah Lee Baldwin, the queen of succulents, a couple yep. of weeks ago. And she really believes that cactus will be the next big thing in the same I've way that, that succulents too. have you know, taken over. So I love seeing that. The gardens that rock. So that was your second kind of garden. I like that. Yep. Yep. 
Our third garden we call Don't Get Bogged Down because this one is the opposite of our dry garden. It's when you get too much rain um, and really too much rain all at once. And so it causes flooding. So, you know, it's certainly a little bit of sprinkles here and there is great for gardens, but flooding is not. And so that saturates your soil, suffocates your roots, uh, and then attracts pests. And so we want uh, natives. So natives that can really be tolerant, you know, natives to your area can be tolerant of lots of beat up. Um, but in this case, meadow sweet shrub, Joe Pye weed, Colorado blue spruce, bayberries, ferns, and winterberry are great examples of, of plants that can withstand excess rain. Uh, but then some things you can do is use more absorbent soil and then create paths through areas with sand or stones so that way you can use those areas. Um, they can do double duty. Uh, and then, you know, Put, use pervious surfaces so you don't have to, you know, don't pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Yeah. Um, you know, use materials that the rain can, can actually fall and run into the ground instead of running off into wherever, you know, and, and really disrupting our stormwater runoff. Mm-hmm. In you also mentioned edging puddles. What are edging puddles? So if you have a spot that it is, it's the act of edging a puddle. So if you have a spot that collects water, keep that water there and make a little bog garden out of it. Um, don't let the puddle run off and then don't try to um, really even out your soil. Make it part of your landscape. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Our last one is, okay, we could break into song. We call it Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> and this one is freezing. And so freezing certainly, uh, again, is not out of the norm for many regions of our country, but um, when we get a frost outside of the normal time of the of when plants can handle it, so whether it's either too early or too late uh, in the spring. And so you want to look for cold, hardy plants, such as Douglas fir, spruce, or birch, maples, and then hellebore, sedge, or hosta. Those are all plants that will, will tolerate, you know, that late frost in the fall or an early frost in the spring. Okay. Some other things you can do certainly is, you know, add mulch or compost or leaves. Uh, and then you always want to go out and gently shake snow if you have a, an early um, or late frost because the leaves, the trees already have those heavy leaves on them. And so if you gently shake it off, then it won't be too bogged down with that weight and break. And I love that you mentioned this is something northern gardeners will be familiar with, but you say avoid using salt near garden beds. Yeah, I mean, especially not only the salt that you throw, but salt from the road. You know, it's a big problem that too much salt in your landscape can kill your plants and trees, especially big trees, because you don't notice it. Over year after year after year of a tree planted maybe near near your driveway or near the road. So what you can do, and you know, you may have done this, but you can run a hose over in the spring to try to wash or leach out the salt from um, the soil. Yes. Well, and when I was on the Garden Bloggers Fling, my friend Joanne Shaw had pointed this out. We had gone to see Barbara Katz's garden. Mm -hmm. And along the road, she put a little buffer strip of wood mulch that was was there specifically yep. to absorb the salt. So she didn't put her garden right up next to the street. She created yep. this nice foot of buffer, and it was for salt. So I thought that was a great idea. Yeah. Well, Barbara would think of anything. Yeah, she would. <laughs> and beautiful garden, too. So. I bet. Oh, I saw some pictures. It looked beautiful. Ugh, that one stays with you, I have to say. All right. Well, so those are the four types, four climate-controlled gardens. And I just like that you included this. And as you were mentioning this, I was thinking about how even indoors, the way we're controlling our climates have changed. 
now when I want to change the temperature in my own house, I pull out my iPhone and I do it that way. Or I can tell Alexa to change the thermostat. I mean, these changes happen so subtly sometimes. And yet, once they do, you'd never go back. You can't even remember how you used to do it. It's crazy. Oh, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, the second category in the report is called social network. And you draw inspiration from a quote by landscape architect Thomas Rayner. He said, garden plants evolved from diverse social networks. Plants as social beings is something that I don't think people would necessarily associate together. I know. And that's why when I read that quote, we were already thinking of somehow a social network because of, of the mental stress and how can we make sure that we tie back into our trends, how social media and that really the concept of being social is part of the stress. And then I read this quote in the New York Times and it was like a, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And he's a landscape architect out of DC. And he says that the big shift to come in horticulture in the future, is going to be thinking about plants as individuals planted there just alone in mulch, one plant here, one plant there to thinking of them as interrelated species. Hmm. And I loved it. I just, I still, this is my favorite trend and it's so nerdy, but I still get chills when I think about it because I think that if we start planting our gardens more like a forest and, you know, you walk into a forest, do you see mulch, volcano mulch around each tree? Yeah. You know, um, and when we start to, to do our landscapes and our gardens in this way, then I think that it will provide so many benefits back to the environment. Um, the natural habitats will start to return like they once were, and then what will that do for the fauna? Um, and so that really, really excites me. And Rainier is a big proponent of urban landscaping. And so I think that, you know, certainly in, in sprawling estates, this is nice, but really when we can make a difference in the urban climates where we're losing trees and, you know, so many problems are the heat islands, um, this can make a big, big difference. Hmm. I remember uh, over the past year, I've done a number of Garden News updates that have included updates on this woman out of the Bronx who has filled her apartment, her very small apartment, with like over 600 houseplants. So she's made a lot of different... Uh, you know, news stories, New York Times and whatnot for just filling her apartment with all these plants. But the second interview they did with her, the the last one that I featured, she said something similar that really caught my attention. And this was regarding houseplants. But she contends that if you have more than one houseplant, if you go a little crazy and allow yourself to really indulge, the more houseplants you have, the happier your houseplants will be. She really contends that there's something that happens to the houseplant's overall health and your ability to care for them and whatnot, that it all goes together, that houseplants are social too. I thought that was very interesting. That is interesting. There was actually a study by NASA, and it came out years ago, that said plants, the houseplants talk to each other. So <laughs> well, there you, you go. Do with that what you will, but <laughs> yeah. I think she would agree with me. I think she would, and I yeah. know that there's plenty of people right now listening to this, yelling at both of us, going, "I talk to my house plants." I'm right. certain of it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so that's neat. I mean, I think that there is sort of a an emotional connection that we make with our plants that that's got to be, you know, whether they are actually communicating or not. There's definitely we like to think of them as our children. Certainly, if you have 600 of them. Yes, absolutely. One more thing about this social network is that um, I really love, and they're doing this. Barbara Katz, actually, speaking of her, she's heavily involved in a new botanic garden here in Delaware, um, and they're doing this, and they're planting something called ecotones. 
And so they're planting gardens that are suited. The plants are all suited for each other. And I think a lot of times in botanical gardens, it's got to be that aspirational. You go to it and you're, you know, you're never going to have your hedges pruned like that. But, um, this, this new, new concept of their botanical gardens is that, you know, everything is supposed to work in harmony with each other. And they're really trying to avoid, they're planting lots and lots of green mulch. And so the concept of avoiding the brown mulch and using plants as mulch, which makes so much sense to me once you see it. Um, and you hear people talk about plant, using plants as mulch. You don't need to weed as much. Um, so, you know, things like sedge or other types of low-growing ground covers that will block out the weeds but not provide a, a competitive root system for the other bigger plants. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on this because this was the other thing I was going to ask you. So you went right to it. I have to ask, though, too, let's just make sure we clarify for folks who maybe have, it's the first time they're hearing this. The term is ecotones, this concept of plants that are working in harmony. Do you know how they came up with that term or is there any any more about it that you can share with us? No, I don't know. And in fact, I, um, I, when I talked to Greg about it, I, don't, I didn't ask him how he came up with it. And I could, you know, hypothesize, but maybe you should get Greg on here when they open the Delaware Botanic Gardens and ask him. Yeah, I will. You know, um, they're doing that whole Pete Odolf uh, installation yeah. there, and it's just been fun to see. You know, I know she shared some of the plans on social media, and then she's shared some of the planting days, but a lot of good stuff is, seems to be happening at the Delaware Botanic Garden for sure. Yep. Well, and I think that's the future of not just, you know, our public gardens, but I think private gardens and urban gardens, and this is the future. Yep, absolutely. Well, third was something I was happy to see, and I'm sure you're happy to see as a young mom. Uh, it's a trend <laughs> you call imperfect gardening. Yay! And, yes, I know. <laughs> and here you're talking about finding beauty in imperfect design, things like imperfect design, imperfect lawns, and imperfect plants. And you start yeah. this trend out by introducing the ancient Japanese practice of wabi-sabi. I'm glad that you did that, but I want you to take a second and just introduce that term for folks. Some of my garden friends, you know, I'll share things and they'll just jump in and in the comment, all they say is wabi-sabi. And I know that there is a fair amount of people who are going, what? What does that mean? So yes. let's talk to them about what that means and then run through the various imperfect gardening aspects that you share in this segment because I think they're very interesting. Okay, great. So wabi-sabi is an ancient Japanese practice. And so once we we stumbled across it, of course, just like anything else, I'm seeing it more and more. I even saw a wabi-sabi gardening book that was published this year. So um, the concept of wabi-sabi is just that, like you said, the, the concept of aging gracefully. And so one of the ways they described it was the moon. The moon is waxing and waning, well, the, mostly the waxing. And it's the graceful way of that it's showing how it is it is growing, but in a graceful, peaceful way, only to be accepted and not to be looked down upon because it's aging. Um, and I think, you know, in the Japanese culture, the, you know, you always, and very unlike American culture, but the elders are the ancient, wise ones to be revered. And I think that that is exactly why this is such a common Japanese practice is because that, that concept of perfectly imperfect and really appreciating things as they age instead of just throwing them away because they've got a little rust or patina book. Um, and the way we, we are really positioning wabi-sabi is that it's the new huga. Now, I don't know if, you know, you or any of your listeners, it's the H-Y-G-G-E trend. It was yep. a Swedish 
practice of just, you know, kind of living a relaxed lifestyle with not too many belongings. And, oh, my gosh, it was all the rage. You look at Huga on Instagram, and it's um, thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of posts about Huga design. But I, we really do see Wabi Sabi as the new design concept. The next level of Huga. I yep. did a show on Huga uh, back in August, and I thought, well, this is a little early because we're just heading into Huga now as it gets cold. You know, you want that cozy, right. comfy, everything. Yep. But I do, I like the connection with Wabi Sabi. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, we love it. So um, what we did is we looked at, you know, the, the things that you garden uh, with. And so first we looked at design and we looked at, and, you know, this wasn't, it didn't start with us just looking at design. We talked to Julie Blakesley, who has Big Red Sun uh, garden design business. And she said that imperfect gardens with natural, sustainable, and locally sourced materials, they all have to look very organic to the landscape, is what all of her clients are looking for. And so it's, a, you know, you, when, when your listeners download the report, you can see our picture here is this rusty red watering can. And the concept of these things, this idea of these aging kind of old, antique looking things in the garden. And I know a lot of people will say, well, that's not new, um, but it is definitely what is is the most requested when we talk to other landscape designers in design, the most requested, these kind of old iron, you know, kind of look look old pieces in the garden. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people have that just because they've been gardening a long time. So they just end up with that after, you know, 20 years of gardening. But when you're a new gardener and you are looking for aged pieces to put in your garden, there is a little bit of an art and a science that goes along with that because you're scouring things like estate sales and garage sales and Craigslist and whatnot, trying to find those pieces. And you have to be careful with it because you don't want it to look junky, but very well-placed, tastefully done items. They can be completely unforgettable in a garden as well. Yep. So that's the design one. And then we looked at lawns uh, because their lawns are still our American pastime. We still love our lawns here in this country. But I think that what is happening is, especially with the honeybee crisis, people are just becoming more aware of everything outside. I think it's, you know, when you see Cheerios doing a honeybee campaign, um, you know, it's really hit mainstream. And so the concept of having an imperfect lawn is um, a trend that we're, you know, is going to, this one's maybe a couple more years down the road, but people letting the clover go in their grass and not treating their lawn so much with so much fertilizer and not just um, letting their lawns go, but maybe even planting some, you know, we talked about sedge earlier, planting some low-growing ground covers to replace their lawn entirely. And so it's just that idea of not needing the perfectly manicured lawn and being being okay with the wabi-sabi of your, of your lawn. That's right. And you know, Pam Pennick, the author of The Waterwise Garden and yep. also does the blog Digging, uh, she recently redid her front area and she replaced it with a sedge lawn, basically. A lawnette is what she called it. And I love that she shared that because she showed it, you know, right from the start. Here's what it looks yep. like. And I think that's really inspiring to people when they can actually see, oh, this is how you're going to do that. You know, what is a sedge yeah. lawn? What does that look like? And she was just very honest. Here's how it came to be. Here's why I'm doing it. And yep. I thought it looked great. Oh, I think so too. And I think that though, a great, it's great for her to share the whole process because that gets us into kind of our next one is that it's not going to look great from day one. You know, you roll out sod and boom, 
there's your lawn. But it takes some time to grow this type of front garden and for all the plants to fill out. And um, so I do love the transparency of her process too. Yeah, I do too. Well, the next segment of Imperfect Gardening talks about finding beauty in imperfect plants. And when I read this, I immediately thought of Brie Arthur because the cover of her book we talked about and she's showing eggplant and she goes, and notice, by the way, that's not a perfect eggplant plant. Yeah. There were holes in the leaves and she goes, that doesn't bother me. I love that. And it was so great to hear someone like Brie say that. I think it's very liberating. Oh, yes. I love Brie. That's a great book. I love her. I love the concept of foodscaping as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you need people like that on the mainstream to show us that, yes, a little hole in the in the leaf is fine. And then the vegetable, it doesn't need to look perfect. Let's <laughs> yeah. be okay with that because it still tastes just as good, probably better. And when I gave this talk um, in July, I gave a preview of these trends. And I, I when I asked people at the end of the trend what they thought, you know, I had three landscape designers raise their hands and say, but my, but my customers, they're not going to be okay with it. And I said, well, you're going to have to educate them. And so the concept is that you're going to have to be okay with telling, you're going to have to tell them, yeah, you're going to plant these great native plants and you're going to have, your plants are going to be covered with caterpillars and they're going to eat some of the leaves and then your garden's going to be full of butterflies. And the beauty that you see in each of those stages is that what you have to show them, that there's beauty in that caterpillar stage and there's beauty in the butterfly stage, but you'll have to make a few sacrifices in order to get all of those three stages. And it was something that, you know, the general consumer is still not yet maybe uh, okay with their plants being decimated, but that's the great thing about plants is they're used to it. That's what they're made for and they'll come back. Yeah. Well, and I like the whole idea of just being real with people about this is what it the, this is what it is to be a gardener, to have yeah. imperfect plants, and I think it's yeah. definitely a better way to reach millennials when you have something that's more attainable for them than this, you know, standard of the perfect right. garden, which is really frustrating for so many people and it just creates yeah. that needless anxiety in the garden which goes right back to the wellness. Exactly. Exactly. And I think having a purpose, too, knowing that you, your, your garden is not just serving you a purpose, but the greater ecosystem as well, I think, again, with millennials, but with anybody, that's really something that you can wrap your head around. Absolutely. And I love this next trend that you identify. It kind of goes hand in glove with this. And it's simply called breathing room. And I thought it would be fun if we started out here before I have you talk about how we can create breathing room in our gardens, but talk about this great quote that you start out with by Julie Cohn. Yeah. The breathing room has, you know, a double meaning for us here in this trend because, you know, we're going back to mental wellness. So the when we found this trend, it was obviously we are gonna we have to have this in our in our trend report some way because Julie Cohen, she's a professor of law at Georgetown, her quote is privacy is shorthand for breathing room, for time to develop our own unique identity free from likes or comments on social media. So it's the concept of give me some space. You know, I need I need to check out, I need to unplug, I need to just you know, I, I now I feel like every other day there's somebody who's saying, all right, I'm disconnecting. I'm not going to be on Facebook anymore. If yep. you want to reach me, you got to call me. Yep. And I think it's that we need a little bit of breathing room from this because we're all so inundated 24-7. And so that's part one of the breathing room. And it really is that, that stress of being connected and just turning off the noise. Part two is that 
you know, okay, so where are you going to de- where are you going to de-stress and where are you going to turn off? And it's maybe a literal breathing room where people go to take in that fresh breath of clean air, where they go and they use houseplants in that room to clean the air. And, you know, your houseplants could be talking to one another or not, but we definitely want you to have more than one is the concept in this in this clean room, breathing room. And Mintel, who is a global trend uh, research group, did a study and they interviewed people. And 52% of people are using houseplants to clean the air. It shocked me. I couldn't believe that that many people knew and understood that houseplants cleaned the air. I love, I was so excited to read that. Uh, and that's not gardeners. You know, that's just regular old people that's right. in the United States. Um, and so, you know, what you're, it could be a workspace, it could be a nursery, it could be a greenhouse, it could be your yoga room, but people are creating these small spaces and what we're seeing is called pause architecture in this fast paced society. Pause as in P-A-U-S-E, take a pause. Yep, take a, take a pause. Interesting. Yeah. You know, this you and I talked about in the pre-chat, but you have in this trends report these images of houseplants, you have the flower pot pendants, you have the beautiful hanging light bulbs, the old-fashioned light bulbs, I love those. It reminds me of actually a corner in my house. I have have the exact thing, I have the light bulbs and the houseplants. But this is an image that really speaks to people. Yeah, yeah, and I think that vertical gardens are such a hot Pinterest thing or Instagram thing, but I haven't really seen them, you know, like on the wall, take off in actual people's homes. And I think that it's, you know, for whatever the reason, you're afraid you might grow something on your wall, but for whatever the reason, um, people people want to grow up, but they're, they haven't really, it hasn't taken on. Um, and so what we're seeing, and one of our editors of one of our trade publications, Chris Bates, is also seeing at this German um, trade show is hanging plants. And that can be, you know, your, your good old just ivy kind of hanging down or your spider plants. But what really we're seeing the trend is these upside down plants. They have containers that will grow upside, grow orchids or herbs in your kitchen. And this is a new way to grow vertically if you don't have a lot of space. Um, if you live in, you know, any kind of small space kitchen or apartment, um, or anywhere, you can, you can still have plants that don't take up a lot of space and you can still have them and get the benefits of them. Yes. And then I, I do love to see all of the plants elevated, although every now and then it strikes me as a little odd. So the one that I saw recently that I was like, huh, I would have never done that is they put mother-in-law tongue in a pot and then suspended it. You know, it's so, what? yeah, it's such a vertical plant anyway. It's just these yeah. long stems going straight up. And to see it in a pot, it just kind of caught me unawares. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? So, and I wonder sometimes if, um, the millennials don't face a little bit of backlash from mom and dad when they come to visit them in their apartment because, <laughs> you know, it, uh, my folks' generation, they got tired of having hanging plants. You know, we I was making macrame with my mom. And so now I'm buying macrame again. I'm buying cute little pot, you know, hangers yep. and things like that. And I know it's definitely not my mom's cup of tea. She lived through that already. But exactly. um, it is so on trend right now to have hanging gardens in your house. It is. And like you said, I mean, the, the macrame is just, I mean, I think even last year, it's its definitely not just a trend. It is here to stay. People love it. Yeah, I, I do. I really like it. So as long as, as long as it's tasteful, and of course, you have to maintain your houseplants. They're not exactly. like set them and forget them. You've got to deal with right. your houseplants. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, water is such a wonderful way to bring life into a garden, whether it's inside or outside. And you tip your hat to the power of water in gardens with your fifth trend, and you called it Make a Splash. Yep. So Make a Splash was our last trend that uh, just kind of was on the cusp. Were we going to put it in? We talk about water. It feels like every year, you know, we talked about drought. Drought's such a big issue. But how is is water new? What is new about it? Um, and so when we, this the quote that we have is, is not the, the newest part, but there was a North Carolina Green Industry Water Symposium that happened this summer. And Rainscapes came out of it, Rainscapes Gardens. And one of the women from the, the Maryland Department of Environmental Protection said that the plant industry needs to understand that plants are the key to increase consumer acceptance and desirability of stormwater features and that plants actually make a difference in capturing stormwater runoff. And then when we saw this quote from Zach Johnson at the same conference, he said, we're not just stormwater runoff people. You know, after Ann said that, it's not just about stormwater runoff. We are in the health and well-being business. It was like, whoa, okay, this has got to be a trend. Because when you manage water appropriately and you can get people to, you know, capture it where it goes, then you're affecting the whole community. You're not just affecting your own little part of land. You really are impacting your entire community. And that trickles down, you know, to everything from the the money that they can use to repair the roads and for schools. So it really does make a bigger difference than I think people really understand. I really like that as well. And I remember I had a very similar conversation with Pam Pennick when we were talking about her book, The yeah. Water Saving Garden, because that was exactly her point is the whole fact that, you know, you're taking stormwater runoff and if there's a way that you can use it to go through your garden, it's doing more than helping your garden. It's actually right. helping your neighbors and your community at large. So I really yeah. liked it. Yeah. And so that was the way that we made water new. But then when we have a, a public garden here, it's certainly we think it's one of the best in the country, but it's called Longwood Gardens. Yeah. And um, they just finished up a two-year, $90 million renovation project on their fountain. And it has increased, I mean, I think 10% over last year, their attendance grew just because their fountains opened. It is attracting so many people to see this show. It is unbelievable. And it really is a wonderful, fun thing to go at night and have the kids running around in the gardens and people just watching and sitting and watching fountains and plants. You know, it's such a kind of throwback activity, but it really shows us that water is on trend. I was just going to say it is on trend and it also is very engaging for kids. I know when I put yeah. in my water feature here, I did a pondless river, a pondless river on the east side of my house. And this was years after we had installed our swing set, our rainbow play system or whatever it's called. But it was a couple of years later and I remarked to my husband, if I'd have known how much the kids were going to love the pondless river, I would have never bothered to even put in the swing set because they spent oh much God. more time at the river, you know, having little boats go down the river, putting their feet in the river. It was just, it's been great. And to this day, they still love to go and sit by the river when, you know, when they want to relax. Well, that's awesome. I am in the process of investing in a swing set right now. So maybe <laughs> I will just invest in that little 
Congress River instead. That's right. Well, I have to tell you a funny story. Um, people will people who have water features will kind of chuckle about this. But when Johnny was about three, our youngest, I had my driveway seal coated because it was you know that time of year we had to seal yeah. coat that driveway, and he was my fourth. And you know they put the tape up, and you tell the kids you can't bike on it. You know, mommy and daddy can't park on it. Don't walk on the driveway. You know, you got to give it an hour or a, a day. You know, before you can do that. Well, somehow that little turkey got away from me and I looked down and the bottom of his feet was covered in asphalt and I'm going, or in the seal coat. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what do I do? You know, you can't bring him in the house because terrible. And so I just picked him up put him by the river, had him put his feet in the river while I'm going, is my baby okay? You know, this toxic, yeah. you know, stuff is on the bottom yeah. of his feet. I didn't know what to do. And um, I was calling the doctor. I was calling my mom. I just, I was beside myself. I didn't know how he was going to get off his off his feet. And when I went back to get him and take his feet out of the little river, here the water had washed it all off. <laughs> so, wow. so I just even, you know, just simple water, little baby skin. I guess it comes right off pretty easily. Easily, and but it turned out okay. Yeah, it turned out okay. But it's one of my early memories of that river with the kids, yeah. and I loved it. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, water is going to be one of the biggest things, you know. I think in home backyards, and because the Philadelphia Flower Show this year, they announced their theme, and this year it's called Wonders of Water. Oh. And so it, yeah, it's going to be beautiful. So their theme is both on how to incorporate these lazy river, you know, these little rivers in our backyard, but yep. also how water and storm storm water runoff is managed. And so they really want their gardens, you know, they do these show gardens. If you haven't, you know, anyone hasn't been to the Philadelphia Flower Show, part of the beauty of it is they have these massive show gardens that all are supposed to reflect back to the theme. And so the, these show gardens are going to have to show both of these things, how you incorporate some kind of beautiful water feature in your yard, but also then manage the water that's coming from the sky. Yeah, you're right. Well, and I remember last year talking with you a little bit about soundscaping and the sound of water in a garden is fantastic too. Absolutely. I mean, all the benefits that you get just from listening to nature, not just water, but the trees rustling, it can reduce, you know, or help you with your concentration. And really, it's just, it is amazing. But vitamin N. Vitamin N, that's right. Well, I really like your sixth trend, and it's called Grow Your Own Protein. And I've noticed this online, and I was glad to see you point it out, but there is a shift happening in the way that people are eating. In my own diet, I can see the shift happening. But millennials especially are eating less meat and more greens than ever. What did you find as you researched this trend? Well, this one was such an obvious one to us because Meatless Mondays, every Monday, pops up there as a hashtag Meatless Mondays, and it's been around forever. Um, But then the same company, Mintel, said that there's this term called the flexitarian, and they said 23 million Americans identify as flexitarian. And so when I give this talk, I ask people to raise their hands, and I think they're kind of looking around cautiously like, well, I didn't know I was a flexitarian, but yeah, I eat less meat. Um, I'm consciously trying to eat more vegetables. And 30%, in fact, Americans are eating more plants with 38% doing this meatless, you know, Monday or whatever you choose, whatever day, at least once a week. And so, um, you know, if you're going to be eating less meat, you're eating more plants. And so that's great for our industry because we're seeing that, you know, not just the, the rise of 
buy more plants in the, in the grocery store, but the idea of growing it your own and eating more plants that you actually grow yourself. And so what we identified is, okay, so if you're not going to be eating as much meat, that's great, um, but you know, you also need to still get your protein. And so if you're going to be eating just vegetables, what are some of those high-protein vegetables that would be fun to grow at home? And so we have a list in our report of the top 10, but um, I grew edamame last year, and it was, you know, it's, it's always a big crop in America. It was like a weed. It could not stop growing, and it was so much fun for my daughter, who was two at the time, just to pick the beans off the vines and just, you know, open the shells and pop them into her mouth. And I thought, mm, raw, raw soy, I don't know about that, but um, she loved them. It was really a lot of fun for us. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it's funny, I just as listening to you talk about this, I was thinking about... This time last year, I was recording an episode with home cook Anna Thomas. She had written her book, uh, Vegan Vegetarian Omnivore. Uh And it was a cookbook that actually had a nice holiday section at the beginning of it. But the whole point of her cookbook was whether there are people in your family that are vegans, vegetarians, or omnivores, either by choice or by medical condition, you know, they have to do, you know, have diet restrictions, things like that. Her point was all are welcome at the table and here's how you make that happen when you're when you're cooking so that you don't feel like a short order cook. And just hearing you talk about you know just the the shift in how people identify themselves in terms of their diet, it just really brought all that home and I think that's why that particular episode was so popular. It was one of my most popular episodes last year that interview with Anna Thomas. Yeah, I mean I think that but, you know, especially holidays are laden with meat and that concept of everybody is welcome. I love it. It really is true. Yeah. Now, you did mention these uh, 10 protein-rich foods that people can grow at home. I, I want to make sure we don't tease people here. Let's have you roll through that list and then we'll go into the next trend. Sure. Yeah. So edamame is number one. And then we have peas, quinoa, broccoli, corn, asparagus, spinach, kale, millet, and sunflower seeds or sunflowers, and then the seeds are what you you can eat. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the list, and there, I'm sure there are plenty more, but these are the top 10. These are the top 10. And then now as we roll into the last one, I have to say that I'm a huge Prince fan and okay. a Minnesotan, and of course, I loved yep. the title of your seventh trend because it's called Purple Rain, yep. and it's, but it's R-E-I-G-N, and this alludes to what we discussed earlier, purple being the hot color trend, but here you also talk about the link between purple foods and mental health. Yes. So I, I knew you would grab that Prince reference. A lot of people <laughs> miss it. Uh, so I have to bring it up, yes, because we got to give a little homage to Prince. Yep. Um, but so, yeah, we did talk about the whole foods that they said that purple vegetables, the unusual ones like cauliflower and the purple carrots and, you know, not eggplant necessarily, but they're flying off the shelves. And so um, when we look at purple, it goes beyond that color. And it off, you know, like berries, you, I think we all know that berries have are high in antioxidants. That's something that's been really drilled into our brains, but it's all purple foods. They have something that's called an anthocyanin, but really is just kind of a fancy word for antioxidant. Um, and those antioxidants are amazing. They help fight cancer. They have anti-aging benefits. They reduce obesity. They protect your heart. And then one of our favorite ones at all, purple food promotes mental strength. And so that was that light bulb moment when it, when we said, yes, here we go. This, this belongs in our trend support. 
because, you know, if we can help people not only, you know, understand the benefits of purple food, but get them to grow these foods that are already on trend at home, then it's, you know, a win-win for everybody. Interesting. And you, you also talk about 11 purple foods to grow at home. Do you want to run through this list? Yeah, well, we named a few. So we've got acai, which are still, you know, acai berries have um, not really fallen off the map. They are just rising and rising in popularity. Um, beets, black raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, goji berries, eggplant, plums, purple cabbage, purple carrots, and purple sweet potatoes. I love it. And I have yeah. a, a nursery nearby here. It's Heidi Highland's Grow House. And Heidi's a, a great ambassador for organic and, and all wonderful ways of gardening. And one of the plants that she always talks to people about is growing purple asparagus. Oh, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I see white asparagus in my grocery store often, but I think one of the great things about growing food at home is that you can grow a rainbow of unusual food that you can't find in your grocery store. And I don't think I've ever seen purple asparagus in my grocery store. Mm -mm. No. That is cool. Yeah, and she talks about using it even as an ornamental, you know, or even eggplant for that matter. That's how eggplant started out. It was more of an ornamental than an edible. Really? Yeah, very interesting history there. I think um, the king of Versailles was using it as an ornamental in his gardens initially. So kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, to me, this whole thing is so fascinating from where we started to end up here with Purple Rain, it has to be pretty almost kismet for you, how things come together, how they kind of coalesce once you identify the theme for your trend. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we we try to, I think I've heard an author say that they don't title their book until they're finished writing it. Um, And we try to really collect what all of the trends are going to be and then see what that main thread that pulls through all of them is. Um, And this year it was, it was more obvious than most years where the mental mental health is not only just a big trend in general, but that it really ties into all of our trends. It, you know, it's never easy to put these together, but no. um, when it all comes together like this, it makes a, all the work worth it. Yeah, and I bet it's interesting for you too because you start to see some connections that the longer you review this this trend report and work with it, that maybe weren't so obvious when you first started yeah. putting it together. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask, I mean, you've obviously had a few chances to talk to people about this 2018 trends report. What are, what are the reactions that you're getting from folks as you introduce them to the theme for this year, but also the individual trends? Yeah, well, the the one trend that, you know, gets a little bit of pushback, I think I mentioned, was the imperfect gardening. Okay. That people say, you know, as gardeners, we can all accept this, but the mainstream public is not going to be replacing their lawns with sedge and um, letting the, the, you know, bugs just eat up their plants. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And I say, well, with that attitude, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the one that we've gotten, you know, I always people always want to know what's the one with the most pushback. And then, you know, color is always a favorite. Color is always, when I asked, when I we gave the preview in July, what people's favorite trend was, purple rain. And I think sometimes it's, it's easy for people to wrap their heads around a color. It's an easy change. You can put a couple, you know, purple foods in your ornamental or edible garden, and that really isn't shaking up the world too much. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first couple of trends, you know, talking about climate and a social network, those are really... Those are a sea change in the way that we garden. And I think sometimes those kinds of things are harder for people to change. You know, they yeah. change the way Facebook looks and people people revolt. So I think the change is hard for people. And so those are a little bit harder to wrap wrap people's heads around. But color is definitely the number one 
this year for people. They love they love Purple Rain, and it might be Prince. Maybe it's Prince. Maybe it's Prince. But, well, yeah. and I, you know, it's interesting. You know, you wouldn't think that there'd be a lot of controversy on a trends report, but there are some sensitive topics here. I mean, when especially when you're talking about grow your own protein, I was immediately yeah. thinking about Oprah, you know, getting sued by the Cattlemen's Association yeah. for, you remember when she lost all that weight? I do. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that right away when I first saw this trend, I thought, I wonder how that's being received. But then also the climate control one, you know, because yeah. there is still, you know, a fair amount of controversy around that issue. Well, I was worried when I got up and I, I, part of one of the part of the trends report says that 16 of the last 17 years have been the warmest on record. And, you know, I say climate change is happening and I still expect when I give the talk, I still expect tomatoes to be thrown at me or people to boo because there are a lot of people that see it differently. But I think in our industry, I think no matter how you think, um, the, how your political leaning, you know that something's happening with our gardens, with our USDA zones changing a couple years ago. So I think that, that you can't, you know, that's something that can't be um, debated. Yeah, absolutely. How do you see this trend playing forward? Do you see these elements of connecting nature and, I guess, just health in general as a trend or as, as something that you'll see carry forward into future trends reports? Well, that's a great question. I think um, what we try to do with our trends reports is, um, you know, one of the things is we, we do look back at past trends reports and we try not to repeat things too much. You know, in the years past, we've talked about, you know, Dirt is a new Prozac, gardening for a healthy body and um, gardening for, to have that healthy spirit, as you said, was one year's trend. And so this year, it's that gardening for a healthy mind. And so each year we evolve um, and some of the trends pay an homage to years past, even though climate control will probably be a trend, hopefully, you know, not forever, um, but that this is something that will always affect us down the road, I think if there's something new to, that happens, if there's a new discovery or if that, um, you know, these are actually coming into play, then that we can address it. But um, as trends change, we we address them. But if things kind of just stay the same, we, we try not to bring them up again too much. Yeah. And hopefully that with people making some of these changes that there will be, you know, if you make changes in your social network of your garden, then that could affect the overall climate. Yep. Absolutely. Well, let's talk just a little bit. I want to touch on this quick and then we'll wrap things up here. But I remember last year, you said that you guys do a really good job of monitoring social media. You're always looking for trends. I'm sure you're already busily working on next year's report. But you said last year, I remember that people could use the hashtag, was it garden trends? And you would catch it. You would look at it if people think that they've helped spot a trend and they want to draw your attention to it. Absolutely. Yep. We love um, either feedback on this report or if, you know, down the road you see other trends. We are always following the hashtag garden trends. Um, some people like to throw a year on it, but I say just let's just own that whole entire garden trends um, and have it be a place where we're all hunting, we're all sourcing. And we love to we look at everything. Absolutely. That would be great if any of the listeners thought something or if they have feedback. Hmm. Now, after all this time, uh, two last questions here. First, do you consider yourself a trend spotter? I do not. No, I have not been doing this long enough, but I consider my mom, who owns our business, and boss a trend spotter. Um, I don't know if she would say the same thing, but uh, that's a great question. You know, I think what what is the thing about spotting trends is that it really is just about connecting the dots. And so I... To certainly consider myself organized. And um, that is one of, you know, a trait that is 
one of my weaknesses and one of my best uh, <laughs> strengths. But um, I put lots of things in folders. And so throughout the year, if I get an email that I think, you know, I don't have time to read it, but maybe it's that hint of this could be a trend that's in a folder. Um, then when it comes time for us to start really hammering down for, let's say, 2019, then I can take, you know, we print those things out and we start connecting the dots. And so that really is what, what spotting trends is about. You know, I don't think I could walk down the street in New York City and say, oh, wow, you know, I see a lot of people wearing high boots and that's going to be a trend for next year. So that's not something that I would say is my, is my strength, but I, but I can connect the dots. Okay. All right. Interesting. And then I just have to ask, because not only is this year's report available for free, if people want to check that out, they can also go back and check out previous year's reports, too. And I think they're all fascinating. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, they're all there on our website. Um, And in fact, we had one of the trade publications, Garden Center Magazine, did a story on some of the trends that that hit were home runs throughout the years, going back to 2001, um, and then some that were bombed. So you got to check. And some we missed. We really missed fairy gardening. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we missed fairy gardening. <laughs> well, now I have to ask. My So here's what I'm curious about. Do you have a sentimental favorite? Do you have a trends report that you're like, boy, that's one I just really, really still love? You know, it's always the last one for me. Um, <laughs> I haven't been doing it as long. This is our 17th report. And so I haven't been doing it as long as they have. This is my sixth year. But it, I always have a favorite trend each year. Last year, it was natecture. And I think because I created that word, oh. we got a lot of pushback. Like, what does that word mean? I don't know what that is. I can't say it. So we got a lot of pushback. So that became my favorite trend. And say it again. How do you spell it? Natec, the intersection of nature and technology. Natecture. Actually, that was two years ago. Okay. Yep. And so that one comes to mind. That one sticks out to me because, you know, we always, we don't like to come up with cutesy words, but sometimes they just, they just are born. They stick. They stick. Well, Katie, your website is uh, where people can find all this is Garden Media Group, and they are all available for download for free, and they just have to head on over to your website, GardenMediaGroup.com, and then look for the trends, and the trends reports are all there. So easy. And you're going to be at at least one upcoming event that I know of. Yes, we're speaking. I'm speaking at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show in Seattle, and that's in February. And so we're hoping to line up a few other speaking engagements for 2018, but that's the first one where we'll be doing the first trends report of the year and presenting that there. It's a great, you know, it's a consumer show open to the public, just kind of like the Philadelphia Flower Show, where you see a lot of fun, unique things that you can then either buy or, you know, you can create in your own garden. All right. Well, any words of wisdom for folks as we part ways here? Any things that you'd suggest for them to give a try in their 2018? These are are just trends. And so you can have fun, try one or two, but don't certainly change your whole style based on the trends. Um, And we, you know, we like to just have fun with these. We don't like to take ourselves too seriously. And we know that, you know, everyone's just going to go about their lives. But I think it's just something to have fun with and embrace the fact that it's just, um, it's not a science, it's an art. That's exactly right. That's yeah. a good good advice to end on here, Katie. Well, I appreciate you being on the show today once again, and I'm, I look forward to next year as well. It's always fun to go through the trends report with you and take a peek around the corner a little bit. So thanks for being oh. on the show. Well, thanks for having us again. I can't wait to hear everybody's, you know, all your listeners' feedback and spot those trends for us. That's right. 
Well, that's it for our show today featuring Katie Dubow with the 2018 Garden Trends Report. I hope today's show gives you some ideas for ways you can transform your garden to further improve your mental and spiritual well-being. Just a reminder, I'll have all of the generous information that Katie shared on the show today under the Still Growing Podcast page on my website over at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. I'd like to recognize my team over at Podfly Productions, my editor and project manager, Eric Begay, and my copywriter, Ein Kadena. I'd also like to recognize the women who make up my listener advisory board, Beth Engel, Beth Gardens in Illinois. She works at Griffin, a national brokerage firm and one of the finest companies in horticultural service. And Beth is also a board member of the PPA, the Perennial Plant Association. Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Amy Von Achen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens over in Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was featured back in episode 553, talking all about how we can incorporate native plants into our gardens. I leave you today with this sign-off. What trends are inspiring you? Capture the ideas that speak to you and take steps to create a cleaner, more relaxed state of mind in your garden. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. 